This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. We got a lot of things to talk about, uh, and some, as I said at the top, some serious, some not so serious. But let, let's start with the one that obviously is because it it is the story of the day. What happened in in France last night with this uh, with this truck and these people that were killed? I think we're up to eighty four dead or something now, which is just astoundingly horrible. And I'll, I'll tell you, like I knew coming in tonight that this is something we were going to talk about. I knew we have to talk about it. But last week it was Dallas, and the week before it was Orlando. And Honestly, I don't even know where to start the conversation. I don't even know exactly what question to ask right now because it just seems like it's become such old hat. That's the thing I remember thinking. I think, you know, okay, what are we going to talk about tonight? We'll be talking about what happened in France. And... And then I thought, well, what's you know, what's the angle, right? What's the and it's, <laughs> it's like, like you said, it's every week there seems to be something new and something awful happening in the world. And and to me, this is what struck me about this one was, uh, you know, I heard initially that a truck um, went plowing into a crowd of people, and so my initial thought was, okay, maybe a few people died. And when I heard that it was up as high as 84, and then I heard other reports that there might be as many as 50 people who are, uh, you know, seriously clinging to life. Yeah, yeah. this struck me as one of those ones where um, the casualties were, uh, you know, a lot higher than than they sometimes are. Sometimes things happen. I remember thinking about the World Trade Center. Yeah, everyone and, thought that was an accident at first. Remember when they, when the first plane hit, everyone went, "Well, how did a plane hit the building? It must have been out of control." Yeah. And that's what I thought when I heard about this first, that it was, oh, a truck mm-hmm. hit a crowd. It must have, the brakes must have failed. Yeah. Mu- you don't, we still, I don't think, I don't think our first initial reaction still most of the time is, oh, that's terror. We still, and probably that's a good thing, are, we still have enough goodness in us maybe that we still think, oh, it must be an accident. Until we're told otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting there. But, uh, you know, what I was thinking was the World Trade Center, many, many more people worked in those buildings than than actually lost their lives. It was tragic and and sad and, and, you know, but uh, it could have been, you know, that the casualties could have been a lot greater than they were. This is one of these cases where it's sort of the opposite, where it was one of those times where the casualties, you know, it actually sort of was, you know, maximized, if you want to use that word, right, which is really sad. And, um, you know, I mean, just who does this stuff, right? That's what comes to your mind. What's wrong with people? What's wrong with the world? And I think the, you know, there's many, there's what words do we use to describe this and what part of this do we address? We address the the geopolitical, you know, the war on terror. We talk about you know, the, the how it impacts us but, or the human tragedy. But what I think that we're seeing um, in many ways is in some way that these these incidents are uh, not the World Trade Center. It's hard to identify in some way with working in the World Trade Center and a plane hitting it. It just seems so surreal. But what we can start to identify is going to a club to see music or going to take your kids to a, a, essentially like a July 1st uh, f- you know, fireworks celebration. So as these things become almost events that are, are, are in the, are not mundane, but our daily lives, when these things happen in our daily lives, that really does now start to, despite what they say, that this is how the terrorists win because it starts to affect your psyche, there's absolutely 
no way I can speak for myself that I don't go to instant areas when there's large crowds or there's something where I kind of check the uh, exits or particularly when I go to Tim Hortons Field, I check the exits. Mm. <laughs> but that's another thing. But I think that it really is. Check the speakers. Yes. <laughs> Say that. Exactly. So I don't mean to make fun of something that's that serious, but I, it's slowly starting to seep into our daily analysis of what where how we're exposed and how how we're not exposed so the impact is um it's insidious i would say here's the thing about this today that 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 struck me as well and it speaks i think more to the problem at hand whenever there is a shooting like we had in orlando there is a massive outcry that we have to ban guns guns are the problem well nobody is arguing we have to ban trucks right and trucks cause this problem in this particular case. And the point is not to argue that we should be banning trucks. You know, of course we're not going to ban trucks, right? I mean, that's that's not what we're getting at. The point is ultimately it's got little to do with what the weapon of choice is. It's the person behind the weapon. And we have apparently an awful lot of people who will find any method at their disposal to hurt other people. And, and whether it's a truck, whether it's a plane, whether it's a box cutter, whether it's a, a pressure cooker at the Boston Marathon... Right. If you can't get your hands on a gun, you'll find something else that will hurt people if that was if that's your aim. And apparently, there's a lot of people with that aim. Yeah. And, it, and it underscores the vulnerability, and it underscores our our inability to to understand the psyche. Like there's not there's really hard for us to get behind understanding what essentially seems like evil <laughs> to us. You know, it's really hard to get your head around this. And so I don't think there's any problem with right. describing it as evil. Right. Evil exists, mm-hmm. and we see it all the time. We see it. Uh, anyone who would say evil doesn't exist is not watching the world. And, yeah. and who th- could, yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, it's not about guns, but if it's, and it's not necessarily because they couldn't get their hands on guns, because what I understand is that this truck was filled mm-hmm. with explosives, and in fact, you know, early reports from CNN was that he actually stopped and was shooting, got out of the truck and was shooting, then got yeah, back in. Unclear, so it's guns. Those that, were the exactly. Yeah. So, but it's the, it's the, uh, how did you, what word do you use? Like maniacal ingenuity of how yeah. you how you great word. Yeah, that's right? a great description. That's a great description. And what what really strikes me, Jane, where this becomes concerning, I think, where it has to become concerning. France is one of the countries in Europe that has taken on, like Germany, like England, tons and tons and tons of refugees, and clearly, with the proper intent, clearly they are trying to help people who are in trouble, but. Some percentage of them, for whatever reason, are not assimilating into the culture that they are joining and they are angry and they're enraged and they're upset and they are doing this. Is there a reason to believe that Canada will be different or have we done a better job of going? uh, See, it strikes me that we brought in an awful lot of people all at once, but what steps have we made to assimilate these people to make sure that once they're here they become Canadian or become comfortable or, or see the benefits of being here? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I can't honestly answer, you know, whether we have done that or not. I don't know I, if there is an answer. But I would say that if, uh, you know, France and countries like France and Germany and England uh, are not um, a lot different than us and, and our sort of way of thinking and how, how the um, this process would have been to bring in refugees. And so, you know, I think all we can do is hope that that uh, that the people who have come over. You know, you see the videos of uh, uh, it was Canada Today. Then somebody posted a video of um, 
you know, a Syrian refugee crying and thanking somebody for, you know, the country for... Yeah, the little girl. Yeah. It was very, very touching. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I thought, wow, I'm getting, you know, a little bit welled up here watching this. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, you can we can only hope that, that uh, you know, it's just such a relief to be here for, for everybody, and it's, you know, a, a pleasant experience that, uh, you know, stuff like... Uh, what happened uh, over in Nice uh, doesn't happen here. Well, and and listen, we I believe that there are still many, many, many immigrants, refugees who have landed in France, in Germany, in England, who are grateful and who have tried their best to become part of that culture. Oh, I, yeah. I don't believe that every refugee who's come there wants no. to blow people up. No. But clearly there is a percentage that is still disenfranchised, that is still yes. not buying into what that culture is selling and how do you deal with that? Do you say, well, you know what, if we're going to take in 25,000, which was the number for Canada, and we run the risk that 10 might end up doing something horrendous, is that an acceptable percentage where we say, you know what, you can't get everybody. You can't make everybody happy. Well, Or what do you do? Yeah. I mean, again, no simple answers for very, very complex very. situations. And you know what, Pierre, uh, Justin Trudeau handing out coats at the airports, you got to go a little deeper than that. That's not going to cut it. And I think if we look at the difference between maybe France and Canada, France, this immigration uh, has gone on for a very long time. So when I was young, I traveled in France after university, and they used to joke and call people from Tunisia the content, as in like the you know the ethnic content. And even back then, they were really not uh, included in society. So this is not. You know, there's a number of things going on, but one is economic exclusion. And, you know, they call the, the areas where they live the banlieue, which is the suburb. So it's basically what happens in a lot of places where, where it really is like the the slums, I guess, or the tenements, or I'm trying to think of an analogy to New York City where people live in the projects is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of. And they don't have, there's no hope, there's no economic, out, you know, there's no, there's no, um, they don't have a lot of hope or a lot of opportunity. So that creates a kind of a climate, a condition or a climate, so they are vulnerable to the kinds of, again, the very skillful recruitment, brainwashing, cultish tactics of uh, an ISIL group. So there's a number of things going on there. And you nailed that, Sandy, but here's the thing. I read something this week that said of the, I can't remember where it was now, I can't remember if it was in Canada or the States, but there was a number of people for bigger industries that were asked, how many of the recent refugees that have been brought in they've hired? And the answer was none. Mm-hmm. And the next, the follow-up question was, well, why not? Are you, do you have a problem with them? And they said, no, they simply, when they come here, they don't possess any of the skills required or the training or the education to be able to work in my company. And so right. while there are certainly jobs that they can do that don't require university education, we are, we We've brought in a lot of people because they were very, very, at, at the very bottom end of life in Syria or wherever right. else. And they those were are the, refugees as the opposed most to risk, The most at-risk people. But then when they get here, you're right. If you're going to then be financially disenfranchised, you seem to be anyway susceptible to the kind of recruitment that is out there. So we, that's where the difficulty comes. We can't simply, I don't think we can hand them hundreds of thousands of dollars each and say, go live the wild life or go live the great life. That's not how we do it. And they don't want that. They don't Most want that. Most people don't want that. So it's it's very, but this this is the kind of thing, you read the story and this guy was an unemployed uh, guy who did this thing in Nice, which by the way, I must say, 
catches me every single time. It's only been two days, but every time now you see a reference to this, I keep thinking it says nice terrorists. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It was a very I, ironic I place thing. for yeah. this to happen. Yeah. But you look at this and you go, I, I don't know that we can say that here in Canada, there's not going to come a moment where this is not going to be something we're going to have to deal with. Well, again, I, that, hope I, I, I hope not either. And, uh, and I would say that, again, with what goes on, we don't want this, you know, we want the, the best of us to remain there in terms of our, our goodwill and our hope and our not, you know, we're not fearful to go outside and we have nothing but goodwill for people that, that need our help, that refugees come here and that they are here for good and, you know, good intentions. They want to build life. So we want to be able to, we don't want to lose that. that. That would be the worst thing if we lose that. But absolutely, there's no reason why everybody's not sort of going, hmm, even the most liberal-minded, optimistic Pollyannas in the world kind of go, hmm, just like you're saying, is this a possibility? And again, um, I've done a lot of work in newcomer populations, particularly immigrants. Now, there's clearly a difference between refugees, government-assisted refugees, and immigrants. And what we do with immigrants, in fact, we recruit immigrants to come here. And we literally say to them, they have to apply, and they're rated. And there's many instances where immigrants come here and they get here and they say, okay, well, you recruited me and I'm an engineer and I'm a doctor. Where's my job? And we go, oh, well, now that you're here, there's a little catch, actually. In yeah. fact, you have to go back to school. And they don't, this, they are actually as, as shocked and surprised when they get here as we are as Canadians. That Why have you come here with an engineering degree and expect you to practice? And they literally spend their life savings going back to school to get recertified. And so... We, as much as we want to say, well, we've brought you to the country, they feel in many instances that they have been sold a bill of goods. So there's somebody's not doing a good enough mm -hmm. job to make sure that connection's made between the people we're bringing to this country and the jobs that are needed. I just hope that with the people that are coming in, for a variety of reasons, not just because of what might happen to some of us in a, a situation, I really hope that we are, that the governments, the various levels of government are doing what they need to do to assimilate people, not just bringing them here and then saying, exactly. there you go, go off into the world, we're going to set you free. You're like a little spawn fish that we're going to drop into <laughs> the lake. Here's and your look winter out, coat and, and good luck with your life. <laughs> you're, you're an inch long, you're a little uh, a minnow, look out for the muskie. Mm -hmm. yeah. But go swim and be free. If right. we do that, we're asking for trouble. If that's what we're doing, we are asking for mm -hmm. trouble. I couldn't agree with you more. So the consequences of that are more than people's hopes and dreams dashed. It's the consequences are... are social fabric. I mean, we are literally do not need to see much more evidence as what we're seeing in European countries if we don't get it right. Absolutely. Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. The Anthem. Now, we're not oh. going to talk about The Anthem in the way that everyone else has been discussing it, because frankly, I said my piece here about how stupid it was that I still love the fact that there is such a thing as a rogue tenor, a lone wolf tenor. <laughs> that to me is the best part of this whole story. But here's the thing. We're not going to talk. We all know what he did was poorly thought through and all the rest. He, apolo he apologized today. He says, honestly, I, I didn't mean for this to be taken the way it was, but I made a mistake and I was dumb and I'm sorry. So he's, it's over. It's gone now. That's all cleared up. We all, well, not cleared up, but we all get, there's really not another chapter to this story. Yeah. But the story that I do want to ask you about, or the thing I do want to ask you about is, it kind of, as a result, as a spinoff of this whole story, some people started suggesting, and I think it's a valid point to ask, should we even still be singing national anthems before sporting events? Is there a reason... Other than the fact that 
basically since World War One or World War Two. I don't know which it was during the war. We've always done it. Other than tradition, is there a reason for us to continue to sing the national anthem at sporting events? I mean, yeah, you can make the argument uh, that we should be, you know, proud of our country and uh, and proud of. Uh, you know, there are forefathers who, you know, fought for freedom and uh, all of that stuff. And, you know, but, uh, and I can certainly see, you know, playing anthems at the Olympics. But then again, that's not really before, you know, it might be before a soccer game, but it, it's not before. It's usually after. It's not before like a diving, uh, you know, competition, right? They're not going to p- play 26 national <laughs> anthems before you get things going, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, you know. Do some sort of medley. An yeah. anthem medley. Basically, yeah, medley. Dance track. The remix. The, yeah, the remix. Uh, the club but no, mix. I mean, they, see, after, at the Olympics, if you win a medal, the anthem is an enormous part of the patriotic moment. That, yeah. I, that clearly, you don't want to take that away. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a, for the person who wins yeah. a medal, for the gold medal, that's a huge moment. It's the question of before the game, before every Saturday when the Leafs are lining up, standing on the blue line, Sandy, why do we play the anthem? Honestly. I don't know. I guess it gives, you know, somebody's young son or daughter an opportunity to break their career as the singer. But I, I don't know, because if you really think about it, if you look at the actual national makeup of the, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Blue Jays or even internationally, honestly, even in some of those international soccer games that are playing for certain countries, I, I would say that less than half of them are actually native to the country that they're where they're singing the anthem for. So hockey, I know even better, but really, m- a lot of you know they're American and they're Finns and they're so it it really does beg the question: if we are, why are we singing a national anthem? Where the team is, where the corporate head office of this corporation is, as opposed to where the actual home of the players are. International sports, I can see a little bit the reason yeah. m- more so. Absolutely, and, and I really like the idea of the the medal presentation and the ceremony, and the, they you know raise the flag, and that really makes a lot of sense. So I, I can see doing away with it. Although having said that, we would not have Bessie Smith in our lives if we hadn't had. Uh, didn't she sing "God Bless America"? Kate Smith. Kate Smith. Pardon Kate me. Kate Smith with the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, go you ahead. know, I was gonna say, even even though it's it happens all the time, and you know, if you to go to a sporting event, um, you know, and and you know, sit through or rather sit through, stand through the national anthem, you know, it's it doesn't happen to everybody, but I know it happens to me sometimes, and I know it happens to to Jen, my wife, as well. But you, so it it kind of get it pulls at the old heartstrings sometimes there's something about up. there's something yeah it is it's it's there's people i remember uh, being a kid i was a canadians fan uh montreal canadians and i remember watching oh, roger doucet oh i'm now a red wings fan but i remember <laughs> oh no i remember watching games at the uh the old uh what the heck was it called in chicago oh the chicago yeah the chicago stadium the chicago, chicago arena. stadium and yeah. when they the, the People were cheering like full throat when the thing started, and by the time it finished, it was you know you could say they're not singing, they're just cheering, but it was it was a, a whole thing. It was it was part of like people look forward Absolutely. to that. That right? was one of the most famous ones, and again in Montreal with Roger Doucette, who yeah. used to do it. There were there are three or four places, and even now, like in Ottawa, you have uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, OPP guy oh, who yeah, sings with, who's the, gloves. with yeah. the gloves and in, in Winnipeg or in uh, Vancouver you have the uh, the opera singer guy with the long hair who wiped out skating around the one time mm-hmm. and stepped on the carpet <laughs> that's all I remember him by I mean you have people who are now identified by the place they're in and it does become part of the pregame 
pump up, but I'm wondering again, like, and I always, this is something very new to me to even question this because it always seemed to me that that's just what you want to do. That's what you do. But I could now see, my, my feeling on this has changed. I could see doing the anthem sporadically. If there is a world event where if you're at war or if something happens and you pull out the anthem before you, to me, that makes it even more special now. Yeah. Or or if there is something else going on that you have to do the anthem, but just it seems rote that it you does. just that you show up and we're gonna have someone now and half the time, Sandy, you said about your some young kid building their career, I gotta be honest with you. Half the time the person said we did it last night, we did the worst anthems ever performed, the top ten list or the bottom ten list. There's a lot of crappy anthem performances out there. Mm-hmm. The anthem for the Ticats game is, is on right now. I'm willing to bet you that it's it, probably not great. Are they? Is it Oski Wee Wee? Because to be honest with you, I don't know why. That isn't the anthem. And, <laughs> and I'm actually almost serious. Why don't we have sort of team, team songs? Team anthems. Team like anthems. Like in European soccer. Right. That would make exactly. more sense. That really exactly. would. Yep. And that, then because those singers that you mentioned, they're almost like they're singing the national anthem, but they're almost like mascots or symbols of the team. Like as Kate opposed, Smith is the perfect exactly, example. Kate exactly. Smith didn't sing the Star Spangled Banner. She sang God Bless America right. and it was the good luck charm for right. the Philadelphia Flyers during the Broad Street Bully era. Yes. And was that, was she singing it to honor America or was she singing it to pump up the Flyers it, or to wave a talisman because that was essentially what it was? I, I think talisman. So I agree with you. It was more about the Philadelphia Flyers and Bobby Clark and and all his you know team as as opposed to it being it was almost like it was it was almost like a rally for the team as opposed to anything patriotic. Well, I, yeah, maybe you guys will know the answer to this, and this this will take it sort of uh, to a bit of a different direction. But in schools, I remember always having the national anthem played uh, at the beginning of the day over the PA system, and sometimes it would be the Lord's Prayer. Or, Something like that. Um, are you asking this because we're old? Uh, no, I'm asking because <laughs> you, you may uh, you may have kids in the in the system mm. now. I'm not sure, um, but uh, yeah, we, I mean, uh, do they still do O Canada yes. to start the day? They so, still do O Canada. You know, so yeah, I guess you, we could ask the question as well. Like, you know, do we need to wait? You know, I waste two minutes of every day or, or take two minutes of every day to do that? It's I guess the same thing with the sports, uh, with the games, right? I mean. And I think if we tried to take O Canada out of the school systems, there would be a huge backlash. But there's a difference, because I think the reason, I believe the reason that O Canada remains in the school system, it's a respect thing. It's part of the education of respect. You're taking a couple of minutes, and there's something that you will stand and honor and be respectful of. Now, do all the kids act respectful? No. Maybe for two minutes of every day. Not even that. I mean, in high school, I'm sure there's a lot of kids that are like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but at least in elementary and middle school, it's a it's something that you are going to respect that is supposed to be meaningful. That's different, I think, from adults who are going to a sporting event who, you know, by the time, listen, by the time a lot of Ticat games start, there are a number of people in the crowd who don't really recognize the anthem because they're already <laughs> well lubricated. Is the anthem helping them develop a healthy respect for their country? No, it's giving them a time to go pee, quite yeah. frankly, yeah. but and not miss any of the action. I, I don't know. I, I always just assume that the anthem would be before games, and it's only... Now, the other one I would say is an all-star game, I have no problem with an anthem. It's a special event. A Stanley Cup Finals, a World Series. Mm-hmm. I have no mm-hmm. problem. That would not then have eliminated the issue with the tenor because it would have been played at the All-Star, All-Star game, game anyway. Yeah. But by and large, it seems to me that we, in some ways, diminish 
the importance of the anthem by playing it so much. Mm -hmm. If you hear yeah. the same thing, if you ate vanilla ice cream every single day of your life, you know what? It would stop tasting very good after a while. You'd finally go, oh, it's just vanilla ice cream. Well, look what happened in the uh, with the Raptors in, was it the Cavs? Somebody was shooting free throws during the uh, Canadian mm -hmm. National Anthem. Probably just because... Against the heat, yeah. Yeah, probably Wade. just because it was, oh, you know, the, this this song's on again, well, whatever. I'm just, I'm, I hear it all the time. I'm just going to shoot, mm -hmm. shoot uh, baskets, right? And then everybody called him on it and, you know, he apologized or whatever. But, yeah, I think it's just basically to pump people up probably who were at the game as opposed to, you know, actually honoring the country. And, you know, I think in in some places uh, could probably do without it. In other mm -hmm. places it's it's pretty much essential, I think. But, again, but just before we go to the break, I mean, look at the Ticats game. It is O Canada is now part of, and I'm not insulting the Ticats. That's not what I'm doing, but it's part of the show. Because they have the gigantic, enormous flag that they bring out that takes up the whole field. Right. Yeah. And they have all the service people and some kids who go out there and hold on to the flag. It's a... With the NFL, they have the flyby. The flybys. It's a part of the show. And I don't know if... Could you do that with something else? Again, great idea, Sandy, that you bring up. Could you bring out a Ticat flag that would be the size of the whole field? And everybody does an Oski Wee Wee and you have the flyover or something. Mm -hmm. Would that be different? I think it would probably be just about the same. Yeah. Except it would be directed to the activity you are at, which would seem to make an awful lot of sense. It's a great... I never even thought of that, but that's a great idea. I like oh, it. And you know what? I don't think it's essential that, yeah, we're... Every single sporting event, we're, uh, you know, honoring the, the nation. Uh, you know, I think, <laughs> like you said, there's there's a time and place for it. Maybe special games, special times, special days. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I would be on board with uh, if they didn't want to do it every single game. You know. I'm with you. I, we got to come up. We got to suggest this. And I don't think that there is anything in the NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball rules that require that the song. You know, the one thing that they did kind of require, except in Canada, was after 9/11, you saying "God Bless America" in the seventh inning stretch. Mm -hmm. And I think they've even stopped doing that now. I think that's sort of fading away in some places. You get it. I think you get it the either Yankee on Stadium. like uh, obviously playoffs. You get it maybe primetime night games. I think maybe. maybe. Didn't but they yeah. used to sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" instead of inning stretch? Time Toronto, yeah. But you know yeah. what? Let's, uh, much nicer. Okay, Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, exactly. You get the participation girls up play. on top yeah. of the dugout. Well, I forgot about that. No, well, okay. that's probably that's probably for the best. Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's Andy sing us into the break here with <laughs> "Okay, Blue Jays." Play ball. Back after this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. There was, we, we were trying to keep it reasonably light on Friday night, but there was one other story that I, I did want to ask about, and that was this terrible, terrible story from out west, from Calgary with the uh, five-year-old girl whose body was discovered and she'd been murdered and her mother was murdered. And it always comes back to this, and I, I, I apologize if this is a bit of a broken record, but do we need in this country to rethink the possibility in certain cases of capital punishment and the reason I ask is this I know that a lot of people say no that's just not something that we would ever tolerate the taking of a life is not something that we in Canada would ever tolerate however we have just passed a law that says doctor assisted suicide is okay so taking a life is okay we're not that strict around the whole taking a life thing where we're, we seem to be re somewhat flexible, at least, in the whole concept of, you know, life is absolute. 
So when you have a case that seems to be as horrendously grotesque as this case is with this guy who's now charged with first-degree murder, would we ever, should we ever reconsider the idea of capital punishment in Canada? Jay, don't look at me. <laughs> That's a tough one. Well, um, I, like I'm going to say no and answer your question. I'm going to say no uh, just because I don't necessarily know uh, that the evidence shows that that prevents these kinds of crimes. It may be retribution, vengeance. It may be punishment, but it's not, I don't think it prevents or would have prevented that kind of tragedy they're talking about. I don't know. I'm sort of talking a little bit about And people a have said that. That's situation. not a unique argument. A lot of people have said that. Yeah. And so, and again, um, not to be argumentative today, but I don't think that you're, that the, the uh, comparison between uh, doctor-assisted suicide is the same, really, as capital punishment. You know, one is a, a pers- person's choice to die, although I would say that I think I could go with you that if this person who has committed this horrible crime chooses themselves that they should actually, uh, you know, can't live with themselves and that that themselves is their punishment, maybe that could be well, on that, the table. But actually, that would actually now be legal because I, for, they, it, could, they could claim mental illness, they could go to court. I mean, good. that's not... And, and again, I'm not actually comparing doctor-assisted right, suicide. What I'm saying slope. is we have in this country suddenly loosened our grip a little bit on the concept that all life regardless is absolute and precious and if we can say that if we can loosen mm-hmm. it a little at one end would we be willing to loosen it a little at the other end um my first reaction when you ask the question scott um you know should there be instances where we talk about bringing back capital punishment my first reaction was yes and it's not the popular uh, sort of answer um especially for probably people who are, you know, in their 30s who tend to be, you know, maybe a little more left-leaning and everything like that. But um, I just think that there's, you know, if you have somebody that's done something just absolutely atrocious and, um, you know, has shown such a blatant disregard and disrespect for human life that, you know, um, and there is without a shadow of a doubt that that person is guilty, of that offense, then um, I think that that person, you know, in some cases, um, may not deserve to live. And that's that's the part that gets that hangs everybody up. I think everybody, even those who are adamantly against it, the argument usually is, well, what happens if there's a mistake? What happens if it's a Guy Paul Moran mm-hmm. or if it's yeah. a, and so, and I think that's a fair concern. I think it's an absolutely fair concern that you say we don't want to have a mistake and execute someone who later by DNA or something else was proven to be innocent. And so, but the reason I ask it today in this particular case is I've long argued that I don't believe capital punishment, if it was ever brought back to Canada, should be on the table for someone who, and I say only, pardon me, it's not meant as only, but who has only killed one person. If you have, if you are a murderer I don't necessarily want to take that chance that you are going to possibly execute someone who later on it is found out that there was an error. I find the chances of you being convicted with the evidence that we have now of multiple murders far less likely. It would seem to me that it would be very difficult to be convicted for multiple murders without enough without that kind of evidence. And to me, I just think, yeah, if you're convicted of multiple murders, I just, I just think, you know, what... <laughs> you've done something... So, you know, uh, 
barbarically wrong that you know what what good are you anymore to society why are we going to sp- spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to put you up at at a at a, at a uh, you know a long term uh, you know uh, jail or penitentiary for for 25 plus years right so yeah it's it's always been my thinking that you know what uh in certain cases that we should we should go back to this and maybe it's like some people think you're going back to the dark ages and you know we we don't do this and in, in 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 this uh you know western civilization but uh well i shouldn't say western civilization because it happens in the states but uh you know in canada but I think in some cases that it needs to be done because I just I just don't think some people deserve to live after uh, some of the crimes that are committed. So I don't I don't disagree there, but mm-hmm. I guess my and going back to my questions, what is it we're trying to achieve with capital punishment? What is it? Is it is it retribution or is it vengeance? If that is it punishment? I mean, I'm not saying that that's not those aren't valid reasons for doing that, but I think we need to be clear about why we're doing this because I'm pretty sure that well, I guess individual families, but I don't think it. You know, I don't think that when someone's executed, I don't think it. Uh, there's still a hole in their family's hearts, and you, you see those phenomenal stories where actually people have dug deep and found forgiveness. And I think in some way there's something there that actually is a higher calling. Mm-hmm. And I'm not at all talking about religion, but there's something there that's a higher order of human feeling. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a clear answer. I just mm-hmm. think we need to know what it is we're trying to accomplish. And we need to know all the facts. Because also, for example, and I'm not sure, but I I think that given the way in the states where people have the right to appeal and to have a fair trial, which is what something I think we all agree you'd want before you execute someone, in fact, that can cost absolutely more than it could, in fact, just to house someone for the duration of her life. So mm-hmm. there's another thing. We want to know what it is we're trying to accomplish with this. You know? Yeah, I guess my thought initially is, you know, uh, society, if 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 some guy's killed, you know, five people and he's convicted and gets out again, and you know he gets out again, or but if he he kills five people and it's just horrific, and uh, you know, uh, you know if it's women or children and it's really just you know awful, right? And you know, I think and and so he gets you know he gets the, uh, the lethal injection or whatever it is, right? I think there's that there's that sort of probably an instant gratification yes. for not only potentially just like the uh, the victims families but but society in general people can you know it's sort of a ah he's gone yeah, you know they but paid the price we set it right you know and, yeah, yeah and you, you feel good maybe for a few minutes and then then you forget about it and you move on right so yeah like what do you you said what are you trying to accomplish right and i think there's that that sort of uh the retribution you know part of it but you know it doesn't last all that long and, and like you said some people find it in themselves to you know to, to get to the forgiveness part right and uh, but yeah, for me, I think it's one of those things where people, it would be almost like a, the country's rallying around, mm-hmm. like, you know. <laughs> well, Sandy mentioned the idea that, you know, it's been shown or people believe that it it doesn't have a deterrent effect right. on crime. That capital punishment doesn't actually, very few people think, oh, well, if I do this, I'm going to be executed. And I think a big part of that is because the system allows us to forget about those people. More more often than not, especially down in the States, those who are executed are executed 15, 20, 25 years after after they've been on death row forever. If you had a system, if you were going to bring back execution, you go through your trial, you have an expedited appeal process, and then if you are still found guilty after your appeal process, if there was an execution that happened 
reasonably quickly. I wonder if that changes the deterrent factor because they don't just then get forgotten about mm-hmm. and get lost in the shuffle. There's actually in, and again, it's not going to stop everybody. And, and, and the, what I said a moment ago about the multiple killings, the classic example in this country would be the Bernardo case. Right. In that case, I don't think that anybody by any stretch of any legal twists or anything could make an argument that they didn't do it. There are videos mm-hmm. that show there is all kinds of, it's beyond, it's not only beyond a reasonable doubt, because that's a legal term, it's beyond all doubt. And when you have that kind of basis for knowing that we're not making a mistake if this person is executed, I... No, it's a tough one. Boy, I, you know what? It makes it, it, it makes you wonder if we, whether it's a deterrent, whether it's for the, for the sanity of the families right. who don't have to wonder. I mean, look, do you think that the families of Kristen French or Leslie Mahaffey, they know, they have to know Paul Bernardo is never getting out of jail. But do you think it's easy for them that Carla Homolka is running yeah, around no. out of jail? No. So you know, for the sake of their sanity... Exactly. And you know what? I'm not holier than thou. I'm not sitting here telling you that I don't couldn't uh, feel that kind of passion and that that need for, uh, you know, vengeance. Honestly, I, I can see it. I, it's not like I'm playing. I'm not dumb about what, what these are human passions are. But I will say that I watched this family of the um, young in, in the States, the young, I think it was in Minnesota, the young guy that was driving um, and he was shot by the officer, the yes. latest one. Yes. And the family was on. His mother and his father and his uncle were on CNN, and they, I mean, honestly, I would, if I were on that show, I'd be saying, that cop has got to die and go to jail. I mean, I would be seeking revenge out of my ears. And that family, so, so, were, they were an inspiration. They sat there, and they weren't the most sophisticated family in the world, and the mom said, you know what, we taught my son to respect the law and to be to respect society and to be nonviolent and to be a good person and we are not seeking you know we're seeking justice but we're not seeking vengeance that kind of thing so you know it's all it's it's But a, I'm not sure that even this decision should ever be on the family. But I guess but part of the conversation is the impact it would have on them, good or bad. Right? Yes, but I don't know that we ever want to create a situation where you call the family up to the stand and put them under oath and say, would you like this person to be executed? That is, they've, they're already Suffering. bearing a weight. Mm-hmm. You don't need to put the weight of another life mm-hmm. on yeah. that family. But I know what you're saying. I understand. And, and you know what? Maybe there are cases, if it was brought back, where the family, rather than that, the family has the opportunity to speak to the court and say, you know what? We would like to plead for this person's life. We'd like to plead for mercy there, that they not be executed. That that would be, and if they can then know that, well, he may or may not ever get out, but he's there, that's something different. Yeah, that's something different. But I, I mean, for this family, I like to believe, I, I, I would like to be a forgiving person. I try to be a forgiving person. We all do. I would like to believe that if something, heaven forbid, ever happened to my family, that I could find it within myself to be that kind of forgiving person. But I can't, I've never been there. I don't know no. what would happen in that moment. And I look at this family out in, in Calgary and I think it's not only is it a double murder, but by every account we're reading, it's just such a waste. It's yeah. like, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no, not that there's ever a good reason for a murder, but mm-hmm. there's, there's no, you can't yeah, even begin to wrap your head around why this would have happened. In the, yeah. 
And and when that's the I, again, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just that we seek vengeance. I don't know, but I. I but there are these. It these does make you. It yeah. does make you ask. Yeah. It does make you ask. And 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 maybe the whole part about this is maybe the argument that we have about capital punishment should never be discussed in the wake of a moment like this. It should yeah, be discussed absolutely. when we are dispassionate because Certainly. we're not having one of these things. Maybe it's like you never grocery shop when you're hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Now, yeah. Maybe when, when we're emotional and angry about something is the worst time to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever wants to talk about it any other time. Yeah. I don't know. We will take a break. We'll c- continue to ponder that. If you have a thought about that, by the way, Radley at 900CHML.com, if you have a thought about capital punishment in this country, would you ever be in favor of executing someone who committed a murder, multiple murders, a certain type of murder, a child murder? What would be the, if you want to send a note to me, what would be the criteria? I don't think we can just say, if you're a bad person, we're going to execute you. We'll have a lot of dead people. But what would be the criteria if we were ever going to bring back capital punishment? There has to be some, and I would think it has to be very rigid and very strict and very onerous. What would it be? Nine, uh, Radley at 900CHML.com is where you can send me that email. Quick break. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Okay, speaking of sports, let me read you an interview that uh, pitcher Jay Happ of the Toronto Blue Jays was giving to a Toronto reporter this week. I'm going to read, it's going to take about a minute here, uh, line for line. Reporter, is there anything you're still not used to in Canada? Jay Happ, I think I've gotten used to most of the stuff. Grocery shopping is a little different. I still don't understand the bagged milk situation here. Reporter, what? Happ, well, you guys sell milk in bags, and I don't really get why or what you do then with the bags, other than it seems like other than that, it seems like Canada's doing a pretty good job. But I don't get the milk. Put it in a gallon jug so you don't have the big sloppy, messy bag. Reporter, you know you put the bag in a milk jug, right? Hap, well, where's the jug? Do you have to buy the jug separately? Why are they not in the jug already? Reporter, oh my gosh. You have to ask someone at the grocery store for help. Why do I have to ask? He says, I should just grab it from the counter and it should be ready for me to drink. Reporter, there's an assumption you know to put the bag in a milk jug and cut it open. Hap, they can't assume that. I've never bought it because I see this bag of milk and I'm like, I don't get what I can do with this thing. (laughs) Reporter, I can't believe this. Hap, we need a memo sent out to all the American players on how Canada dispenses its milk. Would you prefer to have a gallon of milk or a bag of milk? You can pick up a gallon and walk out of the store, or you can try to figure out how to drink your bagged milk. Uh, Reporter, I think I have to bring you a milk jug. Hap, yeah, that would be great. (laughs) <laughs> is this truly are we weird with bagged milk is this are we I mean as Canadians we do some weird stuff but is bagged milk a weird thing that does it strike you as odd well, when you listen to an American describe yes. it I guess yeah when you when you listen to an American describe it I mean, yeah we're going we're going to try to go camping for a few days uh, early next week and so I got th- and we always buy the bagged milk at home right and, and so I got thinking well we need to take milk because my daughter's not even two, so she drinks it all the time, and frankly, I, I do as well. So, but I got thinking. So we're not going to take bags of milk because it's you know kind of messy and sloppy, and we got you know we're gonna have one or two coolers, right? And you know you're gonna have to put a you know a, a clothespin over the hole, right? As you when you plop it in the in the cooler. So I'm like, well, 
you know, what are we going to get? And it actually crossed my mind. I thought, oh, do, can I get a jug of milk? But I guess I guess we haven't had them up here in in for you know a long time. I guess I'm thinking of you know we go down to the states once or twice a year, and you know that's how we buy our milk is in the in the uh, the plastic jugs. But um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess we're going to be using the cartons uh, buying a carton of milk for this camping excursion. But I guess uh, I guess we are kind of strange because yeah, you do have to have this secondary uh, you know device device. I remember back in the day, a thir- you need a tertiary device because you need it's the little the, thing sli- to cut it the little with. cutter too. Yeah, I remember it's a uh, process. Costco back about I'm probably around 15 years ago. They came out with different size these like super size bags of milk. So. The jugs that you had to put the regular oh, bags in right were were too small, so you had to buy this like even bigger size jug to get this even bigger bag in. And I think they've I, I think they've abandoned that since. I mean, I haven't looked, but but uh, yeah, there we go again with the you know having to buy that the extra devices and S- Sandy. What I don't get how this is odd is did we not all start by drinking bags of milk? Oh, I'm not going there. <laughs> Scott, yes, we did. Yes, we did. And sometimes we can't drink from those bags of milk in public <laughs> for whatever can. reason that is. But, uh, you know, it's funny. This con- That line of uh, questioning from J-Hap has unleashed in me a hatred for bag milk. I finally went, yes, I hated this, and it's been unconscious because it's just what we do. So I hate that we drink out of plastic. I hate that sometimes I can't find the jug, and sometimes I end up putting the bag in like a big Pyrex dish. Or Have you ever tried to put the bag in a pot because you can't find the thing, or you can't find the cutter or the scissors, so you have to do it with a serrated knife? You and just then it bite pours the edge weird. off. Yeah, and then it pours <laughs> weird in your cereal forever. So I'm kind of like loving the hate on for the bagged milk. But I think his problem is that he, they keep calling it jug a pitcher of milk, you see? A pitcher of milk, Because he's a pitcher, right? Yeah, yeah well, yeah, very good. <laughs> see what you did there. But you do buy jugs of milk down in the States. And I never I never actually saw, because I always wondered that. Every, you can go to Costco and buy a 40-gallon tub of mayonnaise. Like that mm-hmm. you have to clear the whole top shelf of your fridge just to put it in there. And I never saw anything but regular milk bags. I did, And I always yeah. thought, why do they not have... A nine-gallon bag of milk, but you—they you pretty much—they pretty much did, and I don't know how long it lasted. And I, I'm thinking it was about about 15 years ago they had that. But yeah, it's. Um, well, I mean, hey, we got the, the system going because my daughter's drinking the the homo milk, right? Because she's still. I don't a think toddler. they call that in the states either. By the way, I just no, they don't call that. it that. Yeah, no, don't. Jay Hap would be very confused. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't have any of that. That's true. In a bag, and it's called what? Yeah. No, so we've got the two different, we've got the stainless steel uh, jug for the, oh. the 1% that uh, that Jen and I drink for the most part, except we'll we'll slip the, the 3.25% in the coffee because it's uh, a little bit thicker. But what right? else do we do in Canada? Like, there must be other um, things that people who come up from the States oh. don't understand about us. We don't put caffeine in our Mountain Dew. Apparently, that's really, really? disappointing to some members of my I thought Mountain American Dew was family. The most caffeinated pop. No, yeah. not in Canada. Really? In the States, it's caffeinated, but not in Canada. Here's a weird thing um, Taco Bell. I mean, you're going to laugh at me right there, but Taco Bell, we, uh, we were in Iowa. And Dyersville, no, uh, Dubuque, Iowa, and near the Field of Dreams. Dyersville is where the Field of Dreams is, yes. That's where I proposed to Jen. Oh, why? And, yeah. uh, If you propose, she will say (laughs) yes. It was a voice. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, we went to, uh, let's get some, like, some, you know, 
fast food, right? So we we roll through the drive through. This nothing Taco like Bell. nothing says a good proposal like some Taco Bell. Honestly, <laughs> it was it was the night, the same night that I proposed. We went to a fair. This is a great <laughs> to a fair in in uh, in Dubuque, Iowa. And then uh, you know we had some stuff, and like let's just go back, get some a quick bite, and go back to the to the motel. And uh, yeah, so we roll through a Taco Bell, right? And we ask for some for a fry supreme. And the guy's like, "What? What are you talking about?" We're like, "You know, fry supreme with the combo, right?" He's like, "We don't have fries here." We're like, "What? You don't sell fries?" He's like, "No, we just so they just have the uh, the little nacho chips, right? That they have up here, but." Taco Bell not on board with the uh, with the fries down, and uh, I don't know if it's all of the states or just Iowa, but yeah, I just don't I, the the milk bags. I mean, we do some things differently. The milk bags, though, I've never thought it was a problem. I've, I, in fact, not only is it not a problem, I, I'm against Jay Happ in this one. He he better pitch well because right now. He's down in my books because the milk bag <laughs> keeps the milk fresh longer. You can keep it in your fridge without opening the bags for. Who knows how long as, long, as long as it's not out in the sun. You can actually freeze it if you want to, although it doesn't make for great milk, I'll be honest it with kinda, you. It kind of goes a yellow color, doesn't it? it? it, it you I don't, don't know why that happens. It, 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 yeah, you, you know wonder? what? I don't want to guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but I, it seems to me it's actually a really convenient thing. It's really convenient. They, they can sort of take the shape of wherever you put them in the fridge. Yeah. They don't. They take less space as a result. The only thing you don't want to do is pull it out and catch it on an edge in the fridge, and then you've got a mess. Yeah, and I find sometimes if if another bag of milk has blown up in the on uh, route to the store or in the uh, in the store where they're sitting, you get that sour milk smell uh, on the on the bag, the outside of the bag. So do you I test always... the bag? Do you test the bags before you buy them to make sure the bags inside have not burst? You mean by I, what opening? Oh, opening no, I do not. I learned this lesson from my wife who is very clever. When you have the bag of three bags inside, yeah. you tilt, you just grab it and you have to pinch one of the corners of the bag. And if there's no milk in there, then if there's nothing there, if it's, then it's not <laughs> leaking. It huh. works. It works. Cause if one of them is leaking, there's milk inside the big bag. Ah, right, yeah. right. I like I learned how to, I learned how to check for eggs, to make yeah. sure they weren't broken. Yeah. Although that doesn't take a lot of work. You open the thing and you see if their eggs aren't broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even <laughs> yeah. I can do that. How about picking avocados? Um, that is a skill. I have never. How do you pick an avocado? You basically feel up every avocado in the bin, and you look like a weirdo, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and they have to just be the perfect uh, firmness. If they're too, if it feels like a baseball, it's way too hard and it's not ripe yet. If it's like really mushy, then we're talking you're not about avocados. Want, right? We're still talking about <laughs> avocados, yeah. And it's got to be this perfect greeny yeah. brown kind of color. And you can't have a look in your eye when you're doing this, or else people are going to call security. <laughs> it's the same much. with testing for melons. Well, Aren't you supposed tap to like them. tapping melons? I don't melons know what and they're <laughs> tapping. I just do it and have a clue and just hope that. No, and then when you see people and and the one place that I always find as the oddest, we've gone completely off topic here, but the oddest food checking I always imagine is when you have cobs of corn in the store. There's like a table with cobs of corn and these frantic people. And I was going to say frantic women, but I got to be honest with you. Now that I think about it, it's more often men are just ripping the husks off these things. So there's like those... <laughs> strings flying yeah. everywhere and they take almost the whole husk off and then they see like one kernel that's not right and they throw it back on the <laughs> on the table yeah. so by the time you get there you've got all these bald cobs of corn yeah, and what's pick, going on? these have all been manhandled now I, this is not really <laughs> no. um, not what I want I want my corn protected it comes with a protective yeah. sheath I want it there yeah I yep. agree with you well, well I now want my milk in glass 
jugs. Glass I, jugs. You want the milkman to bring ooh. it back to your house? I do. Uh, yeah. By horseback. Huh. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Fresh, like not yeah. even homogenized, just the natural no, milk. Yeah, exactly. Well, my grandmother is 98, and she tells us wow. stories about... Um, the milkman bringing stuff milk to the to the house before they even had refrigerators and they just basically threw it on the floor in the cellar and it somehow was cold enough there you go <laughs> like you know hopefully not too many people died of uh from sick milk back then but yeah i mean i i my milk's got to be by the way full disclosure um and this came out in a Facebook post because my wife posted this J-Hap story on my wall because I'm a huge milk guy. But I have to drink it in a freezer mug. It has to be super cold. I can't have milk that's like, you know, just kind of half, you know, mm. half cool. It's got to be like super cold, freezer mug cold for that, milk. I think there's some issues there that you need to address. No, there, there are. <laughs> there's certainly a... Here's a couple other things that uh, a website has pointed out it are things that we do different that probably would very much confuse J-Hap. One of them is eating cheese curds on top of french fries and gravy. Yeah. We call poutine, it poutine, right? but... Mm-hmm. Um, ketchup chips? Not Apparently ketchup chips are not available in the States. They no, are a eh? Canadian thing. Huh. You cannot get them down in the States. Uh, we don't have pennies. We have plastic money. Do you think plastic money throws the Americans off? And colorful money that looks like Monopoly money. Because with them, it's all just, you know, one big green color. Yeah. And they, w- they were doing some uh, dollar coins down there. But, like, not when I asked about it, not everybody even knew about it, which is weird. I only got a couple ever, but they were doing some dollar coins at one point semi-recently. I don't know what happened to it, but... I don't know. I, th- yeah. I think green money paper money and the right to bear arms are serious issues down there. <laughs> they don't want coins. They don't want colorful money. And the other thing that you, you can always tell, you can always tell how long someone has been in this country simply by asking them to say the alphabet. Z. Yeah. Z. As soon as you say Z, you are a Canadian. Because it's so anti... It's so opposite to what you want to say. Even as a Canadian, I'll be honest with you, I, I mean... I still like Z better than Z. Well, when you're singing the alphabet song, right? Yeah, it doesn't. Rhymes. Z doesn't even rhymes. fit with the the rest of the letters of the alphabet. C, all D. sound sort of like you would expect them to sound, and then Z. It doesn't even fit. Yeah. <laughs> My sister has lived in the states for about ten or fifteen years now, quite a long time, and most and she's really loves Canada and her Canadian things, and I st- have not seen any change in her becoming American. Until and she's up here visiting, and she said, "Would you like some mac and cheese?" Oh yeah, is that a KD? You mean KD? Penny. So I felt like we have to bring you home. You've said mac and cheese. <laughs> that yeah. is uh, that is one of the others. It is um it is interesting. I, you know, if the Blue Jays marketing department is on top of things, they will have yes. a J Hap milk jug giveaway day at the ballpark yes. sometime really uh, soon. Would be amazing. Yeah. Get milk on board, the milk, you know, people on board. How perfect would this Especially be? Especially if they could make it that it, so that it was uh, built for left-handed people, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> for Southpaw's. <laughs> a left-handed South milk jug. milk jug with J-Hap on it. You know, uh, it would be a perfect, perfect promotion. Mm-hmm. If picture, they're on top of it. A picture, yes, yeah. it would be a picture. <laughs> Very well done. Uh, quick break, back after this on the Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.